0: you the song that we're singing.
1: Hey, this is Oscar Dahl. I'm here with Matthew Knutsen for We Like Movies Marvel 20th Movie Edition, Ant-Man and The Wasp, plus a bonus top 10 ranking of our personal favorite Marvel movies. Matt, how you doing?
2: I'm doing well. It seems to me that there uh, should have been a little more fanfare around the 20th film in the MCU, right? I mean, I know I sort of talked about this when we talked about Infinity War, but it seems like Marvel was way more excited about hitting that 10-year mark as opposed to hitting film number 20. Nobody's really discussing it, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is uh, probably the most inconsequential Marvel movie of the last however many uh, that have come out. You know, you say that, but uh, <laughs> the ending of this, you know,
2: the implications of what, what ha- where this movie lands at the end is pretty significant. I guess only in the context of what happened at the end of Infinity War.
1: Yeah, I, I suppose so. I mean, I knew they were going to tie it in in some way and, and sort of catch the timelines up since this takes place before the events of Infinity War. Um, but, I, you know, I was expecting something like that, weren't you?
2: I had an inkling of where it was going to go, and then by the time that, end credit sequence started uh, stinger whatever you want to call it i was like ah i know exactly what they're doing here not that i was being you know not that i was too good for it or something predicting what they were going to do but i was like ah okay that's what they're going to do and that's exactly what they did and uh, we can get to it organically and d- talk about it and spoilery stuff at the end of this conversation but um my audience gasped did your audience uh, react
1: uh, yeah, it was it was gas. We saw it opening night at uh, Cinerama. So yeah, it was uh, it was audible. And you know what? In the moment, I wasn't like uh, I wasn't exactly prepared for that. But I mean, it, it just makes sense that they would do it. Terrible timing, by the way. Ridic bad timing on their part. <laughs> um, really unlucky, to be honest. The math
2: of it doesn't quite make sense to me, just in terms of this whole fifty fifty thing. I mean, I know we can't just if you have a group of four people. You're not just going to say... Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it.
1: The math works
2: out, man Come <laughs> on. <laughs> I know we must have talked about the first Iron Man... Or Iron Man. Ugh, Ant-Man, rather. Um, was that our conversation we had with Mr. Ryan Julio a number of years ago? Was that that uh, sort of yes. like State of the Marvel yeah. U- Cinematic Universe or whatever? Absolutely I can't remember was. a single thing about that. Con- I mean, I remember talking to the both of you about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember the episode. But I can't remember a single thing about your response to the first Ant-Man, your re- reaction to it, your opinion of it. Uh, bring me back up to speed on your
1: feelings about the first Ant-Man. <laughs> I think in in order of people who liked it, I think I probably liked it most than you and then Mr. Julio. Does that make sense? It's possible. I, I think it's fine. I <laughs> <laughs> I think I thought the first Ant Man was, was fine. I don't think my opinion has changed that much. It's not a movie I, I seek out to revisit, but I think it's a, a funny enough entry. And upon reflection, I know this is not my opinion at the at the time. But after watching Baby Driver and after rewatching Scott Pilgrim recently, and being uh, very disappointed in my former self who loved that movie at one time.
2: Oh no, you don't like Scott Pilgrim anymore. Man, I don't think I do. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, you were a huge Scott Pilgrim guy, and I still champion that film. That saddens I know. me.
1: I know. It's just we're getting old and crotchety, Matt. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of, I'm happy that we didn't get the Edgar Wright version, and I think it was the right decision because I think it would have been. Uh, a way more a cocky movie than it needed to be, but that's it. like I, 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 you know, spoiler alert: we're having our ranking our top ten Marvel movies, and the original Ant Man is not on it. And so I, I think you were also pretty nonplussed by the movie, um, I, I, and I doubt that's changed, has it?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty lukewarm on it. Although I gotta say, watching this last night, it definitely made me want to go back and revisit the first one. Uh, because I just remember so little about it. Like, it really was just one of those films that just completely went in one ear and out the other, you know? Yeah. But again, not in an unpleasant sort of way, just in a sort of inconsequential way, and, you know, sort of going through and putting my top, you know, ranking them. I mean, I ranked all 20 of them, but we'll only really need to talk about our top 10s. It made me realize that there's nothing in this MCU that I have, like, actively disliked. Yeah, But on the flip side, there's nothing in here that I, like, am passionately uh, excited about revisiting too often.
1: The top ten movies really sort of are grouped together for me. It's pretty tightly,
2: yeah. It's kind of hard, actually, to rank because I was was jockeying them around quite a bit. And I think that the whole Ant-Man phenomenon, if you want to call it that, is kind of indicative of how just competent these films are but how like risk averse they tend to be. hmm You mentioned Edgar Wright. I was thinking watching Ant Man Ant Man on the Wasp last night, I was like, this is this is very competent, this is fun, this is funny, this is quick, this isn't too you know, it it's not asking too much from me. And that is, for better or for worse, kind of the house style. And I did find myself sort of fantasizing about an alternate reality, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, an alternate multiverse, if you will, in which um, somebody like Edgar Wright, as much as I didn't care for Baby Driver, I have loved many of his movies, and I still champion Scott Pilgrim versus the World. <laughs> I just would love to see what that version of this would have looked like, and I would love to see more riskier versions of these kinds of films put in the hands of riskier stylists. Yeah, I mean, isn't that what we got from... Thor Ragnarok, though? Well, I think that's what Thor Ragnarok was supposed to be, and I feel like that's how a lot of people responded to it. To me, it didn't feel like that much of a departure. Like, I felt like Taika Waititi completely sort of like playing by the rules, you know, still instilling his personality and literally putting his voice in it because (laughs) he played one of the characters. But, um, But even that, to me, felt like it was, you know, three quarters of the way towards being something really interesting. Mm-hmm. and I just don't think that that's a game Marvel wants to get into, and why should
1: they? They're being completely rewarded for playing this all very, very safe. Yeah, I mean, we say they're playing it safe, and we're, we're coming off the end of Infinity War, which is you know, super ballsy. Um, however, we I do suppose. sort of know, just reading the tea leaves, that they're going to run that back and do some time travel bullshit, and it'll all be for naught. Again, there's there's such a great value in being consistent as a studio here, right? Like, that's the genius of Marvel. They've created this brand, and people know it's going to be a good I mean, like, for the vast majority of, of the movie going audience, it's like they go to a few movies a year and they look at a Marvel movie and they know they're going to enjoy it. They know they're going to get their two hours of escapism. It's not going to demand too much of them. It's going to be fun and funny and, you know, pretty low stakes, all said and done, and they're going to have a good time. You know, they may not remember it a few weeks later. They may not be crazy passionate about it, but it's, you know, it's, they're doing exactly what they want to do. And I think there's a, there's a great value in that. You know, I was talking to, like, my mom and her boyfriend the other day. And, you know, I was like, hey, you know, you guys should start. They didn't watch any Marvel movies. And I was like, you guys should just start at the beginning and watch Marvel movies instead of the cable news every night. You know, because <laughs> they spend, like, three hours watching MSNBC. And oh, like, boy. Just what just, i Just getting you know angry yeah just escape from this world and and you know start from the beginning and watch all the marvel movies like you'll you'll enjoy yourself and at this point you know if someone's starting from scratch like that would be a pretty fun rewarding experience uh just be able to binge through all 20 of these movies
2: yeah 20 movies in 10 years is just that's just crazy. That's really, truly impressive. I mean, I was thinking a lot about James Bond when I was putting this list together and thinking that in about a year, about a year and a half, we're going to get, James Bond is going to hit its 25th film in over 50 years, and Marvel's going to hit its like 23rd film right about the same time. That's crazy. In, in just over 11
1: years, which is just it's just incredible. An incredible accomplishment. Doesn't it seem crazy that Captain America, the first Avenger, was only seven years ago? How is that fucking possible? Yeah. The first Thor was only 7 years ago. Like that's that's nutty. Yeah.
2: I mean, and just the idea that we that both of those characters now have their own trilogies, let <laughs> alone 20 films in this series is is crazy. I mean, do you think you know, Doctor Strange gets three movies. Um, sp- obviously, the new Spider-Man gets three movies. Guardians of the Galaxy uh, is obviously already getting its third movie. Like, everybody's going to have their own trilogy. But here, I mean, clearly they'll make a third Ant-Man, right? And I bet you I bet you Black Panther gets his, gets a trilogy.
1: Yeah, probably. Uh, uh, I, I assume Ant-Man will. Well, why not? I, I, I bet it's making a lot of money. I haven't checked the box office yet. But... It seems to be working. I mean, yeah, I mean, these guys obviously they always make
2: money they you know marvel movies never don't make money um but i'm getting a lot of kind of back and forth like for, originally they were like oh it's going to do like 100 and they're like no it's going to do like 85 oh it turns out it did 75 no no it actually did 85 like we're kind of waffling back and forth but it seems like it's right around
1: it did 76 76 domestic 85 foreign so
2: basically and i think it cost about 160 and i think last night it past one hundred and sixty-one million or something world worldwide. So uh, over over the course of the entire holiday weekend, right?
1: Yeah, it'll make some money. Yeah,
2: so it's basically already made its money back. So now it just needs to do about twice that in order to cover marketing, and we're good to go for a third film.
1: And they got they got money to spend. They got money to burn. They're fine.
2: Yeah, but do you? I mean, I know we talk about this a lot. Do you think we'll ever get to a point where one of these actually disappoints, a la Solo? You know, like, Solo is technically the first Star Wars movie that probably won't break even, right? Yeah. Which is significant. Um,
1: I, I, I don't know. I don't see it. I mean, if, if anything were to disappoint, it would be a movie called Ant-Man and the Wasp, you'd think, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, I've heard a lot of people sort of derisively make fun of that movie. That this movie exists over yeah. the last couple of weeks, right?
2: Well, I mean, they uh, did that with the first film too. So, mm-hmm. like, they're still not convinced. Even as this thing marches to 160 million over five days, I mean, the the Wikipedia article, like the bo- <laughs> the last thing in sort of like the opening salvo, of the Wikipedia article says. Generally considered by critics to be fun but disposable, relying on charm, humor, and Rudd's performance and in, particular, in particular to overcome its story and number of subplots. Even Wikipedia isn't taking
1: this movie seriously. <laughs> I mean, that's that's fair. That's fine. I mean, I, I mean, this movie has to be tongue in cheek. Uh, these movies do uh, just because of how like silly all the quantum mumbo jumbo is throughout. And there's you know. Michael Douglas, great actor, one of the best. He has so many just explanatory lines about the quantum mechanics of getting their little ship down into the quantum realm and yeah. how all this stuff works. And it's like, you know, he does it with a with a deft touch, but it, it's still, it can't help but feel... Very silly and, and and unbelievable, even in a in a universe where we have all these crazy superheroes. But Rudd even uh, calls
2: uh, him out on it at one point. He's like, "Do you guys yeah. just add the word quantum before everything?"
1: <laughs> exactly, <laughs>
2: which is valid. I can, I wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on the wall on set to see Michael Douglas sort of like reading through some of this stuff and being like, "Okay, wait a second, what is the? I mean, do you think he's the kind of company that's like whatever man, whatever's on the page, I'll I'll spout it off, or do you think he like is really taking Peyton Reed and the screenwriters to task? I mean, I guess Rudd is one of the writers, so he's got Rudd right there. He can make him justify himself.
1: I, I mean, I, I have to imagine they're all just they're having fun on this set. Like they, they know, they know they're not. Ta- I mean, if anyone's taking this shit seriously, then they're they're probably on the in the wrong place, the right? Wrong set, yeah. <laughs> but they don't, but they don't overly do it tongue in cheek, right? They don't, they don't play it for a joke. You know, it's it's serious and seriously sentimental at times, and all but the the family stuff. And I, I, I think they. And, you know, Marvel throughout has has struck the right tone, especially in movies like these that could have been otherwise pretty pretty bad disasters. You know, this movie could have been... The first one could have been really stupid, and uh, I think they found the right tone. And, you know, while I haven't been a fan of Peyton Reed's work <laughs> previously, um, I think he does a pretty good job. But uh, that's that's Marvel for you. They, they tend to have a way of, of propping up directors who you might not have ultimate faith in and, and uh, letting them shine. I had a weird reaction after I walked out of this movie last night. And I was like,
2: I was almost embarrassed how much I liked it. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was like, God damn it. That,
1: hey, you don't have to be embarrassed about it, I, I
2: completely enjoyed that. Like, that was really fun and zippy and disposable sure but i feel like we you know using that word really undercuts what this movie achieves because it is pretty impressive that it manages to remain coherent and fun throughout and like like you said never never stupid like never too self-aware and never devolving so far down the mumbo jumbo rabbit hole that it becomes like incomprehensible or like magical you know yeah like so often i feel like so much of this pseudo like even black panther to me i rewatched black panther the other day at work and company i work for we screening it outdoors a couple times this summer obviously interesting fun fact by the way for all you licensing nerds out there uh you can't screen a movie in a public you can't screen a disney film in a public place within the same month that another film in that series came out so in other really? words, you can't yeah, you can't screen Black Panther within 30 days of uh, Ant Man on the Wasp coming out, and you can't screen you couldn't screen Coco within 30 days of um, uh, Incredibles coming out because of Pixar. Wow. So Disney has its little factions and it doesn't want to compete with itself. So it really wants you to go outdoors and pay $10 to watch, you know, Coco on a rooftop, but it doesn't want you to st- decide to do that over going to see Incredibles within 30 days of Incredibles. I think that
1: makes sense. I mean, that's fine.
2: It does make sense. It, it's funny the company actually had. Uh, actually had Black Panther scheduled for this month. And I, I caught that the other day. I was like, wait a second, guys. <laughs> Ant-Man of the Wasp comes out. That is a, a conflict of interest there. And they're like, oh, shit. And they reschedule.
1: Don't want to get sued by Disney. That's for damn sure. No, definitely,
2: definitely not. They got uh, deep pockets and lawyers for days. Where was I going with that? I rewatched Black Panther the other day. And it, it's a really fun movie. I like that movie a lot. It's crazy to me that we're talking about best, best picture possibilities for the film, but we can get into that in the next few months. That movie, the science, the, the science in quotes in that movie gets to the point where it becomes so close to just straight up magic that it's like, okay, well, there's nothing that this technology can't do now. So you're kind of losing me. Because it just seems so magical that it's just it can do anything, it can solve any problem. I, I bristle a little bit at that. Like you start to lose me a little bit, you lose my interest a little bit when you go that far. This movie sort of like rides that edge. I, I feel in a little bit like the science involved is definitely pseudoscience mumbo jumbo. But
1: so so so, so you you bristle the Black Panther stuff, but then when we have a, a guy that can turn into a Hulk, you think I'm picking and choosing a little bit. I think having sort of contained movie is a nice antidote to just have the, the, the larger universal ramifications of something like Infinity War. It, it's nice to be contained to, to one spot and not have all these character cameos come in and not be sort of this globe-trotting or you know galaxy-trotting affair. And, you know, something we've talked about a lot. It's fun to be in San Francisco. Yeah, fun to be in San Francisco. Fun to just do that whole thing. You know, it, it does kind of feel like a souped-up, TV episode at points because of that I guess because we're so used to Marvel being on such a grand scale but I, I think it I think it works to to the movie's credit um, and and it is a nice sort of departure from from what we're used to with these with these Avengers movies
2: uh, yeah that's true it feels again like so many of these kind of like backhanded compliments being lobbied toward this movie even as it you know, sits at 87% or something on Rotten Tomatoes. But yeah, I can't deny just how easily it all goes down and how, how comfortably it floats on the charm of um, of Rudd, Michael Douglas, and Evangeline Lilly. It, it's funny how they, I mean, I was never a lost guy, so I don't have much context for Evangeline Lilly. But it is interesting to me how Marvel manages to sort of hit on these sort of character actors who then rise to a certain level of prominence that I do don't necessarily always see coming because i'm not familiar with the backstory of the characters so a good example is some somebody like sebastian shaw playing the winter soldier Mm -hmm. the the first avenger when he falls off the train i'm like all right well that's the end of that guy never occurred to me that that bucky barnes character was significant or important or would play a much larger role yeah and sebastian stan was you know not a really well-known movie star at the time but obviously they knew that that character was going to come back and they were relying on this Sebastian Stan becoming a movie star Mm -hmm. so like when Evangeline Lilly pops up in the first Ant-Man I'm like oh she's fun and she's beautiful and she's interesting but it didn't occur to me that you know she comes back as his partner in the second as the
1: title character
2: (laughs) yeah I mean I mean maybe that maybe that's a sexist impulse on my part did mm-hmm. I presume that a character like that is going to become this much, you know, so much more significant? Mm-hmm. But I have to imagine that was always the plan, right? I mean, they cast her for that reason.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm glad that was the plan, and and you're right. It's not the typical sort of Hollywood casting. You know, they're 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 confident in their casting, knowing that maybe someone a little older, maybe someone who's who's not striving to be a movie star, maybe someone that hasn't gained prominence in in, in other roles, is is still worthy of, of consideration. Yeah, I mean, I was a lost guy, and I, I really liked in that I mean she was still pretty she was very young when Lost started so you know she she wasn't the, the best actor around but she definitely got better and then from there she's had sort of a pick and choose career like she hasn't done a whole lot I think that's by, been by her choice you know, they said she was basically retired when Peter Jackson brought her in for the the Hobbit movies. Yes, and then she's done you know some stuff here and there since. But it's uh, I'm happy to see her do it because I, I I do like Evangeline Lilly and I think she she is charismatic and and fun and you know physically adept in this role. And uh, you know, I just like seeing these these older actors get their due. You know, especially Michael Douglas here. It's just crazy. I was uh, we were telling you know in the same pitch session. I was telling my mom like just rattling off the names of all the older generation <laughs> actors yeah. uh, that, that she would see. And, you know, even coming to this movie, she's like, yeah, Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer. And Lawrence Fishburne. She's like, what yes. the fuck? Are you kidding me? <laughs> in, this movie, in Ant-Man and the Wasp.
2: In it. Well, I was thinking—I was thinking about that as well. My mom is coming to town this weekend, and I'm sure this film will come up at some point. Not that I'm necessarily going to recommend it to her, but I'm sure we'll discuss it. And I'll just casually rattle out the fact that Michelle Pfeiffer is in this, and I'm sure that will come as a huge surprise to her.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: you know, because you're exactly right. I mean, they it seems like they're in a crash course with putting pretty much every important actor of the last thirty years into a Marvel film in some mm-hmm. capacity, right? <laughs> and it just feels inevitable like yeah when michael douglas was in the first ant-man movie that felt like a real coup it did because again that movie on paper seemed like a joke and michael douglas is an elder statesman Mm -hmm. uh so yeah him being in that film in a significant role taking it seriously and then yeah of course signing on for the sequel is is a pretty big deal i mean we can talk about michelle pfeiffer in a second but michael douglas definitely one of my favorite actors of all time. I find his trajectory to be so interesting. <laughs> and despite the fact that he's an Oscar winner, I still feel like he's one of the more underrated actors of his generation in terms of his range and his and like the bravery of being willing to play an absolute scumbag for much of his career. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, I mean, I remember reading about Fatal Attraction and that the filmmakers were so surprised and almost disappointed that audiences were still kind of like when they would fill out comic cards after the fatal attraction test screenings, that they were still kind of with Michael Douglas, (laughs) that they were still like sympathetic towards him, despite the events of that film. Like there's just something about the guy that even when he's playing somebody who's absolutely despicable, you still kind of root for him. There's still something magnetic and heroic about him. Mm -hmm. And he went through this like, you know, real golden boy period early in his career. He won an Oscar for producing one flow of the cuckoo's nest before he was even a household name. Mm Mm-hmm um and then you know he was a television actor and then yeah he went through this sort of like sex symbol scumbag period and then he was sort of like this aging sex symbol and then he had his whole cancer thing and bounced back from that and now he's experiencing this kind of like late career uh, genre film renaissance or something like he's he's in a bunch of Chinese films right now that we'll never hear about but he goes over to China and just collects a paycheck and he's out there hustling man he's still doing his thing. Clearly likes to work he likes to do it. I, yeah and I think he's re, you know invigorated by the fact that he basically you know cheated death and now he's it's time to go back to work. I just love seeing him in films like this. I think he is fun but like you said not winking about it. Mm-hmm. It's There's something a little bit silly about seeing him put on the suit and kind of go into the quantum realm (laughs) but uh but you know it seems like he's game yeah that that whole sequence got me thinking a lot about uh, inner space and how much i need to revisit that (laughs) film yeah i had a had a dream dream about joe dante the other night and i woke up being like oh i I need to rewatch watch inner space again that movie just turned 30 and i love that film so much a fun double feature for sure Yeah, Uh, Joe Dante might be a good subject for one of our oeuvre series one of these days. That guy had a fascinating career. I'd be down for that. So anyway, he goes back and he retrieves uh, Michelle Pfeiffer... She's prominent on the poster. We obviously all knew she was in the movie. Do you think that there was ever a conversation or should there have been a conversation about her being a surprise? Like the idea of bringing her back from the quantum realm as Janet Van Dyne. Could that have been a fun
1: little surprise? Or nowadays is it impossible to keep those kinds of things secret? I think it's impossible to keep it secret. I also don't think it's that... It's not that it's immaterial. It's just that, you know, from the beginning of the movie, like this is the whole point of the movie to, to find this person and... You know, Obviously, we know, it being a Marvel movie, they're going to find the person. So yeah. I, I think it's pretty easy to connect the dots, and I, I think they did it right by not trying to hide it. I, th- I think her, quote-unquote, star power is probably big enough to, 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 not, to, to warrant not uh, keeping her name from the public or whatever.
2: Watching that opening scene, I was thinking to myself, oh, I would have been so easy to shoot this differently so as to not see her face. Mm -hmm. and you know maybe her voice is iconic enough or whatever but that scene is so short and then she's immediately in a helmet and then you don't see her again until you get to the quantum realm it's like you could have you you probably could have pretty easily you kept a secret or made this a surprise rather but nowadays i suppose you can't casting and people taking pictures on set. Like, it's very, very difficult to keep any of this stuff under wraps.
1: And sadly, I think a lot of moviegoers, you know, younger moviegoers, probably don't even really know who Michelle Pfeiffer is, so. Sure, yeah. So when she comes out of the quantum realm, it's not going
2: to be a big gaspy moment. What did you think about her portrayal of Janet Van Dyne?
1: I I thought it was fine. I mean, she didn't have a ton of screen time. Um, And, you know, what we know about her character is how much Michael Douglas and Evangeline Lilly are... know love her tell us tell us about her you know then that's about it um and you know there's a lot of business to take care of action wise you know while she's in the movie in the very you know final third so i got nothing nothing much to say about her I, i think she's she's fine i like michelle pfeiffer it's good to see her on screen but it's not a crazy ton of depth to this character yet
2: yeah that's true she's kind of a symbol I suppose. In a way, she's like a symbol of of Michael Douglas and Evangeline, Lily's characters um, becoming collaborators and partners. And, you know, like she, for better or for worse, has brought them to, you know, closer together Mm -hmm. as partners and father and daughter, I suppose. There's something fun about that reunion when Douglas and Pfeiffer finally uh, get back on screen together because it made me realize, oh, yeah, even though these two are total contemporaries and basically sort of like came up at the same time, and became superstars basically around the same period. They've never appeared in a movie together, like right. That's kind of I, I went through both their filmographies. I couldn't find any overlap.
1: Feels like they should have starred in the '90s and something together, right? Exactly. Yeah. I was thinking
2: about that movie. Remember that movie, Shining Through? Yeah. With Michael Douglas, I think it's a World War II movie. Uh, I was like, Oh yeah, Shining Through, Michelle Pfeiffer. Of course, that was she and Michael Douglas in Shining Through. Like, no, 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 that was that was Melanie Griffith. (laughs) Uh, But it seems like the kind of movie that they they should have been in together, and very. And I'm sure Michelle Pfeiffer was probably on the short list of people they wanted for that
1: role. Did you read in the Did you read in the Wikipedia uh, page for Ant Man the Wasp that during uh, you know as they're casting this movie, Michael Douglas wanted Catherine Jada Jones, you know, his wife, to play the role. And Evangeline Lilly wanted Michelle Pfeiffer, and it looks like Evangeline won out.
2: That is interesting, because I feel like I think I might buy Cat, uh, Evangeline Lilly a little more as Catherine Zeta-Jones' daughter. Maybe just because of the hair color? Yeah. I don't know.
1: Yeah.
2: Huh. I, I would have been okay either way. Yeah, it would have been fine. Catherine Zeta-Jones, she really has, her star has kind of fallen, hasn't it?
1: Well, she, she hasn't done anything. It's it's willful, right?
2: You, well, well, is it is it by choice? Like, do you think she just is saying no to things? Or do you think people just aren't reaching out to her anymo- anymore? I think she basically retired. Ta- I mean, she should be taking on roles like this. Like, that would have made complete sense for her to be... To play a character like this, although I don't know, I I I like Michelle Pfeiffer a lot in this role. I've always liked Michelle Pfeiffer, and it's cool that she's popping up in things like this. Her mother—it just seems like she is all of a sudden hungry to work again as well. Yeah, that's cool. So, and not you know too good for something like this.
1: Her last her last movie is a a made for TV movie called Cocaine Godmother.
2: Right? Yeah, she's she's doing stuff like that. It's a shame. So you're right. You're right. She's doing
1: crap movies. She was in Red too. She was in Side Effects. That was good.
2: That was years ago, though. She needs a she needs a, a comeback vehicle. Let's mm-hmm. get her a comeback vehicle. Let's do something about that. She After we get a, done with she, this podcast, let's let's give her a call. I think
1: it's gonna be a CBS procedural. <laughs> that's that's valid.
2: So in terms of those two, watching the opening sequence of the movie. Which echoes the um, uh, the prologue of the last Ant Man. This like CG's ability to de is getting to be so damn good. Now they're just showing off, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I, I was thinking the second thing it was like this is really unnecessary. This opening scene, we don't even <laughs> need to do this. But yeah, good on you. <laughs> but it looks really goddamn good. Michael nothing, Douglas it, is dashing. Yeah,
2: it, it's that it's not waxy. I just want to see an entire sequence with de-aged Downey, <laughs> Kurt Russell, and Michael Douglas all mm-hmm. having a conversation conversation you know from night you know that took place in the marvel universe in 1989 or something yeah 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 it's really impressive plus i'm sure these actors must just love it being able to like i mean of course they can just go back and watch movies of themselves from the 80s now they can actually you know give a performance here in the now and then within
1: a few minutes see a rendering of what they would have looked like 30 years ago it's so weird because like just the the gist of it is you know it's it's a tighter skinned face Basically, like that that's yeah, what it seems just to be. Photoshopping it, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's it seems like there's not much to it, but I don't know. I, it, it, it's it's always fun to see it on screen. It's
2: just another sort of like nail in the coffin of the idea that we're getting to a point where we won't really need the actors anymore, right? <laughs> where we can we can we can render we can render young Michael Douglas in movies long after he's dead.
1: If there are no actors, who will do the press, man? That's the... <laughs> That's an excellent point.
2: That's exactly what Michael Douglas's agent is telling someone right now. <laughs> Speaking of actors, uh, how do you feel about Rudd at this point? Are you are you over the whole Rudd thing? Is his just sort of no, like? Oh, I'll
1: never be over the goofy whole Rudd charm? charm. I love Paul Rudd. Yeah, this is Paul Rudd for the masses. So he's you know he's he's being the ultimate Paul Ruddy Ruddiness, which is which is fine. Uh, I I will always like Paul Rudd. I like his shtick. I'm just happy that he's a freaking you know comic book hero like that's such a crazy thing to, to have happened for him in his in his 40s yeah uh, but uh, yeah I, I'm super happy for him and he's 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 a charming dude always has been always will be
2: uh, agreed I, after seeing Clueless, you know, whatever it was 25 years ago, I was like, oh, okay, that guy, you know, he's a leading man. He's going to do romantic comedies and that's going to be his thing. And it'll always revolve around very, very mainstream concerns. Like he's just going to be one of those vanilla mainstream romantic comedy (laughs) guys and he'll never do anything risky. I feel like all I started to see him do after that was just weird sort of um, alternative comedy stuff like um, Wet Hot American Summer. Mm hmm. Like he started just immediately sort of rejecting anything that was remotely mainstream, with few exceptions. And not The Object really... of My Affection. Exactly. Yeah. Object of my affections notwithstanding, He started popping up in these really weird things. He hitched his wagon to the Apatow star and and he was perfectly willing to play supporting roles as well. Like he didn't seem like he was consumed with remaining a leading or ever really being a leading man. Yeah. So it's been kind of fun to see him come into his leading man status kind of organically through the back door, through the comedy door. Yeah,
1: no, he ch- he chose weird comedy, and that's, yeah. Uh, and he, yeah, he sort of got rid of mainstream. He got a, got a taste of mainstream, didn't like it, and decided to just all his heart. And so
2: now and so he basically he's come into this with all of this cred, mm-hmm. you know, by the time he was casting this role, he had all of this comedy cred to bring to bring along with the thing. So,
1: yeah, and he got got a chance to to, to write uh all of there what six writers credited on this screenplay, which is always a little worrisome, but mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure it's just mostly joke punch up from, from Paul Rudd and maybe a couple of other people on there. It's not nearly
2: as disjointed as six writers would lead you to believe it would be. No, <laughs> it's not it that way. Yeah, it yeah. feels a little more coherent or a little more um, it feels smoother than the first film, I would say. But then again, the first film also had been passed off from Edgar Wright to Peyton Reed.
1: It also had to explain this whole thing, you know, you had to do the origin thing. Um, yeah. And this movie is pretty, yeah, this movie zips along really quick. It's, it's very straightforward. Uh, there's a couple of fun things. I, I, I like the Paul Rudd being you know taken over by Michelle Pfeiffer's spirit or whatever. I like the idea of the mobile lab.
2: So the MacGuffin in this movie is a friggin' building, <laughs> which is kind of amazing and kind of perfect for this universe. Yeah. But it's it, the entire film, that's all they're doing is just chasing this stupid little building around.
1: Yeah, that's great.
2: (laughs) Which is, yeah, it's a perfect, it's like a perfect uh, metaphor for for the sort of like the thesis of this series. So Michael Pena comes back and uh, because he was obviously a uh, fan favorite from the first film. And I was happy that they didn't lean as much on the big Michael Pena runner from the first film.
1: I was very glad they didn't just, you know run Leaned. it back into, yeah. You know, from the first thing they, they, they do, they it, do once, it once very quickly in a sort of shortened manner and then they just let Michael Pena be Michael Pena the rest of the time
2: you know call me a stick in the mud and I, I love Michael Pena as much as the next guy I always have but he's kind of been a little over reliant on this comic persona since like observe and report right that's mm. basically where he where he sort of like landed on this comic persona that he's really been coasting on for the last decade or so
1: yeah i mean i think that's just how he's getting cast and you know, i think it's a it's a question of typecasting we, we okay. know he can okay. do more serious stuff obviously happy for him getting work and uh, but, but i totally agree with you i mean that was one of the big big uh takeaways for me which is I, i'm glad they didn't go back to that well over and over again you know he, you know he does provide some conch relief but it's already a pretty funny movie so it's he, he doesn't feel yeah overworked there's uh there's a fun
2: a uh, comic runner as well with um, close-up magic, which I thought was kind of cute, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which keeps coming back. <laughs> uh runner about truth serum, which is kind of funny.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. Um, how did you feel about Randall Park and his whole FBI thing? I, I found that whole subplot to be patently silly and probably the weakest part of the (laughs) the movie about the just ineptitude of the FBI and and, yeah and and the fact that they they seem to want him to fail like they seem to want to throw him in jail really really bad I never understood exactly why I mean every time they show up at his house they they seem so excited they're like oh we finally got him we're finally capturing him it's like I don't understand why you want to go badly like what's in it for you you're gonna get a promotion if you end up catching this guy out of his house isn't
1: he ostensibly like a hero to the
2: public too
1: yeah like it's it's not for the for the glory right i i guess he just has pride in his work
2: it just felt like an incredibly manufactured way to add that much more tension that like not only does he have to save the world but he's got to get home before the fbi realizes he's i don't know it just felt a little manufactured to me and it it's just like okay of all the people who were involved in captain america's civil war this is the only guy who's under house arrest like mm-hmm. Like, he's the only one who suffered consequences
1: for this? I don't know. I think it's just because he wanted to see his family, right? Like, yeah, this movie's uh, about him loving his daughter and uh, doing doing right by her and uh, everyone else's bigger concerns.
2: Uh, she's super adorable. Uh, I think someday when she's a movie star, we're going to be like, remember when she was the cute little girl from the Ant-Man movies? Like, she just has that, she has that look where you just know she's going to grow up into um into a movie star someday like she's she's very very cute another great female performance in this movie and a somewhat undeveloped character but a character who i think is like Really cool in like design is uh, one of the antagonists uh, who I guess is called Ghost. Ghost. Although I don't think they ever te-
1: they ever like technically.
2: I mean, I know it's a character that comes up in the comics. It's a patently silly name, but it's a really cool idea for a character in conception. Yeah,
1: the the, the phasing in and out. I think they do Love call that. her that throughout the movie. But yeah,
2: they do. They do. I just there's never like you know like they just call, I think they just start calling her that because it seems like that's their interpretation of her powers or whatever. Yeah, and she yeah. never introduced herself as that or anything
1: yeah something the movie does well and and again i I do like Ghost. the whole phasing stuff is you know makes for cool fight sequences for sure Um, truly but but they have these two different antagonists that sort of work not in tandem but they you know they have similar aims and it it, it does work out i mean you don't always get a, a nice efficient movie when you have you know two different villains but a movie that tried the same trick and couldn't uh it didn't do
2: it as well as um, Iron Man 2 which had yes, uh, yes. the bureaucratic businessman in Sam Rockwell and then the um, villain with powers who has a dark past in Mickey Rourke's what Whiplash character I'm not totally buying the whole uh, ghost Lawrence Fishburne backstory uh, semi love story semi father daughter situation going on there just uh, there's a lot of backstory there's a lot of juggling going on I was just I was kind of like alright we're spinning our wheels. Let's let's get on to the next. Thing. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I,
1: I thought the Lawrence Fisher thing happened really fast, especially um, at the beginning. Like the whole turnaround reveal of his true intentions was uh, it was like one scene later, um, so he never really got to be set up as, as, as the as a good guy. Yeah, and, and I am sort of confused by what his actual motivations are here. As expected. So,
2: spoilers here for anybody who hasn't seen this or Infinity War. All three of you. He uh, Scott goes into the quantum realm, and then um, everybody else uh, turns to dust, as expected. Or at least we would have expected that some of them would have turned to dust, right? Both uh, Douglas Pfeiffer and their daughter are all gone, and Scott is trapped in the quantum realm, like Mork and Mork and Mindy. So, so
1: are you really bothered by this? The the mass. Well, of just this there's man? four of
2: them. Doesn't seem like two of them should have gone.
1: No, it's on a global scale, okay. on a, on a right. universal scale. It's All it's right. half the fine. people. I mean, come on. It's fine. It's going to happen. 3 out of 4 a lot. No, it
2: has to happen this way because they have to trap him there. I get that. Like if somebody was there to take to bring him out of the quantum realm, he wouldn't be trapped in the quantum realm and being trapped there is how he's going to save the rest of the Avengers or whatever, right? I guess so. Or is the ant is the ant that we see playing drums at the end going to going to show up and push a button or something
1: I don't know I, I know Ant-Man is going to do something or he's going to be tasked with doing something he's going to be found by Iron Man I'm sure uh, or whatever um, but he will Captain Marvel. He will be a part of uh, of, of, the, of the Fourth Avengers for sure
2: that's what, that's what they were playing here, was the idea that this was the inconsequential one, the one that nobody was talking about, the one that was coming out after Infinity War, the one we didn't invite Cap, you know, we didn't invite Ant-Man to be part of Infinity War because he's not important enough. And then it turns out, as one of the only ones left behind, he's going to be instrumental in helping to bring them back.
1: You can see that just with, with the tone of these Avengers movies. It'll be a heroic moment, finally, for, for, for Ant-Man, proving himself to, to all the other heroes, which is exactly what he wants.
2: And it's actually what he kind of did in Civil War. I mean, he kind of is the most prominent, just by nature of how big he gets, the most prominent member of that fight scene, right?
1: I mean, he didn't do anything special besides get big. It's not like he was impressive in his moves or anything, but uh, I think think they still look down upon him as some, some weirdo. How do you feel about the reliance on,
2: like, do you like the fact that he can get big as well as get small? Like, is that, I mean, if he's we're... Ant-Man, but he can also become giant man. And does, I don't know, does that kind of like...
1: I'm not as familiar with the Ant-Man mythology as others or his history. So I don't know if that's the common thing in the, in, in the comics, but uh i you know doesn't doesn't bother me because it's all very silly in general uh you know if there are purists who, who tell me that uh you know it's bullshit he only does this you know once every every 10 years in the comics then i'd be like okay i guess maybe it is kind of cheap in, in that vein i do prefer sort of the getting smaller and doing the the things on a smaller scale type action stuff uh, as opposed to him just getting really huge and being lumbering.
2: They do get a lot of mileage out of the fact that his suit is constantly malfunctioning throughout this entire thing, right? Like yes. at one point, he he can't get bigger than the size of a toddler, which is kind of funny. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's kind so. of reminiscent of that Deadpool two scene. But
2: yeah, exactly. Yeah, thank goodness he he had his pants on in this one. So now we're gonna have our longest stretch. Without a Marvel movie, you know, in recent memory, like we won't get another Marvel movie until March of next year, I think, is when Captain Marvel comes out.
1: Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's been 10 month, 11, you know, 11 month gaps before, um, okay. especially early on. Um, once, sure. I have this up. Let me look at it real quick.
2: Considering where we're at now. I mean, I guess the thing is there has to be this gap because whatever comes next is going to have to, in some manner or another, Set us up for the second Infinity War film, or whatever we're calling the next Avengers film. Yeah, because that's kind of that's kind of the elephant in the room at the moment. What's going on with all of those people? Yeah,
1: I mean, there was a two-year gap between Iron Man and Iron Man Two. Oh, okay, but
2: and then another year <laughs> okay. between Iron Man Two and Thor. Okay, they've been closing it. They've been closing the gaps over the course of the last ten years. Let's put it that way. Yes,
1: definitely have.
2: <laughs> and the idea that um, that we won't. We've already had three Marvel films this year. And we we just passed the halfway point of 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's pretty the way that they uh, they really jumbled them up there, and um, and now we're going to have to go on a little bit of, a, and we won't get a Star Wars film in uh, Christmas of this year either. So oh. boy, Disney's really going to have to start tightening its belt. Yep, yeah. <laughs> they're going to have to start charging <laughs> charging at the Pepsi machine over there at the, at, in Burbank. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, we still have. Uh, th- they're gonna have three 2019 movies as well.
2: So, so next up is is Captain Marvel, and then that will set up the next Avengers film. And obviously, that character and this character and whoever else is left alive will play significant parts in that. So it's it's nice. We're gonna get to a, have a, like a little bit a little time off from this, Oscar. We've had three of these Marvel conversations in the last. Uh, five months so
1: yeah and i think uh i'm ready to have a little break it sounds great um but but yeah just to wrap it up i i'm with you i i was not expecting to have such a good time at this movie um and i did it was it was a breeze it was a blast and uh i you know i i recommend it for a little little summer escapism for sure
2: easy fun escapism is marvel's stock and trade and uh it's a surprise to no one that they've They've accomplished that, that modest goal once again.
1: <laughs> uh, a modest
2: goal that you rightly point out is actually pretty admirable as well. Yes,
1: absolutely. Um, all right, you want to do our, our top tens? Let's do it. My number ten, and again, this was really hard. I'm going to go The Avengers Age of Ultron, a movie that I feel is, is, is disrespected to a degree that it doesn't deserve. I think it's an underrated movie. And uh, and a whole lot of fun.
2: My number ten is Avengers: Infinity War, which I think is uh, something of an overrated movie, but I still uh, have to uh, have to admit that it's that it's significant and it is a pretty impressive feat of juggling.
1: My number nine is Thor: Ragnarok. It's a pretty rewatchable movie. Uh, it's there's some really there's some pretty weird stuff going on. Um, You know, maybe not as weird as we would have liked, but I, you know, I I respect how different it is, and I I like the Thor and Hulk and Jeff Goldblum characters, and just a a fun, colorful movie. Colorful for sure. Uh, It didn't
2: crack my top 10, but I am way overdue to rewatch it. I haven't seen it since it was in theaters and kind of disappointed me, Mm -hmm. so I will rewatch it uh, very, very soon. My number nine is uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which I feel is so incredibly superior to the original and is... It's just, I don't know, it's a movie that makes me happy in ways that seems like the original made most people happy. The original completely left me cold, but the second one taught me what all the fuss was about. I think the soundtrack's better, I think the jokes are better, I think the visuals are better, I think the, I don't know, the relationships are better. I mean, I get that like, they've already like set the template, so now they can play but I just think it's a—I think it's a superior movie in every single way to the original. Yeah,
1: I think you're crazy, because um, <laughs> my number eight—I sure. don't have Volume Two on my top ten, but I have number eight is a uh, Guardian of the Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One. All right, I feel exactly the same way, but the opposite. Um, you're in the—you're in the majority.
2: <laughs> Next up is The Avengers, which I think most people would probably have a little higher. It's a movie I don't think is aged especially well, but still, I don't know, like maybe the highest degree of difficulty yeah. of any of these films. Like if that didn't work, then this entire endeavor was all for naught. And still a pretty smooth and clean movie that, you know, it's a surprisingly coherent film considering all the things that Joss
1: Whedon has to contend with there. Yeah, I'm with you. I have that a little higher on my list. But number seven, I have Infinity War, which... I've seen a couple times now, and I liked it a lot better upon my second viewing. I don't know why that is. Just I wasn't looking at it with that as critical light, and maybe knowing what was going to happen just freed me up to enjoy the scenery. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a good story, and the endings.
2: Uh, excellent. I have another Avengers film. It's my Seven Avengers: Age of Ultron, which I know like, there's. All the fanboys out there are gasping, you know, clutching their pearls right now that I would consider that the best of the three Avengers movies. But I do because I think it all hinges on that party scene at the center of the movie where all of those relationships, friendships, maybe even romantic entanglements, like all that stuff comes together and gels so well. Mm-hmm. And if, if if those relationships don't work, if you don't care about those characters cracking wise and, and drinking a beer together, then I don't think the action sequences mean a damn thing. So the fact that that movie nails that part of it in ways that I feel like the first film just sort of like scratched the surface of... Age of Ultron takes that ball and runs with it, and yes, it gets a little crazy and goofy by the end for sure, and it's it's an imperfect movie, but I think it's the most, I think it's the most interesting of the three Avengers films, and it's the one I like have the impulse to rewatch the most often.
1: Um, my number six is Captain America: Civil War. Just, I mean, it's a de facto Avengers movie, pretty darn good one at that. It's not my top Avengers, but it's it's uh, number two on my list. Uh,
2: number six, I have Black Panther which seems to be topping most people's lists nowadays. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's a beautiful movie. I think the cat it's probably has the best cast of any mm-hmm. of any of the uh, Marvel films and uh, and probably the best villain as well yeah. in Michael B Jordan's Killmonger. You know, I, I take issue with some of the scientific mumbo jumbo, but that being said, like the way that it handles the 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 visual elements, like especially the um the opening prologue mm-hmm. with all the crazy like magnetic sand and stuff. Yeah like incredible and, and incredibly like detailed and beautiful and inventive. And uh, yeah, there's just a lot of wonders in that movie. Great soundtrack. Uh, incredible action set piece in uh, South Korea. I don't know. There's just a lot of wonderful, wonderful things embedded in that movie that I think is certainly far from perfect. Has It's just as many clunky elements as any of the other Avengers films, or I'm sorry, any of the other Marvel films. But I understand why people respond to it the way that they do and why it is the technically the highest grossing of all the Marvel films at this point, domestically at least.
1: Yeah, I love that movie to death. Um, number five for me, though, is Doctor Strange. Just still maybe the most visually inventive Marvel movie uh, that's been made so far, um, really fun origin story, and uh, I just I, <laughs> I I love his powers. I love I love how that looks on screen.
2: Steve Ditko just passed away yeah. last week. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. So he is probably be- most known for his association with Spider-Man, but also known as basically the the you know the Godfather of Doctor Strange as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is yeah, that's a big. I mean, one of these days Stanley's gonna go probably sooner rather than later. Yeah, it's on. true. I mean, seeing him sh- showing up in um, in Ant-Man and the Wasp, I was like, he, one of these days he's going to go and it's going to be so strange to not see that cameo every single time, right? Um, number five, I have Iron Man 3. One of the films that I think is the closest to a Marvel film actually giving the reins to a director who actually has kind of like a unique take and vision in Shane Black. Like, I think Iron Man 3 is the closest we've come up until something like Doctor Strange or Thor Ragnarok. For a Marvel movie, actually, kind of breaking the mold a little bit, being like, "Let's try something a little different. Let's take it over here and see if we can, if we can push the boundaries of this template a little bit."
1: It also seemed like it didn't, um, you know, really hit with audiences uh, the way uh, other Marvel movies did, and maybe that's why they went away from, from giving the leeway to someone like Shane Black. Um, am I wrong? I mean, no,
2: you're exactly right. See, I'm. I think I'm in the minority. I think most people don't like that movie. Yeah. So, but I find it fascinating, especially the the portrayal of the way that they deal with the Mandarin in Ben Kingsley. Yeah, yeah, I do like that. Which is just one of my favorite.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it made a shit ton of money, but not a crazy amount. Of money. But I feel
2: like its reputation is is very very low in the in the echelon. Well, wow, um, it's. I feel like I rarely hear people champion that film and it's it's a it's a movie that like needs to be it needs a um it needs a reclamation you know it needs to be it should be revisited i mean it made
1: 1.2 billion worldwide and is the number yeah. one grossing iron man movie just fine is what you're saying <laughs> it, it did just fine the audience okay. responded well it's not bad. okay um number four for me is black panther uh yeah nothing left to say on that
2: um number four for me is doctor strange i agree with everything you said i think visually it's clearly the most impressive of these 20 movies mm-hmm uh, it's it's certainly the one I would be quickest to just throw on at a party on on repeat, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just like it'd be the one to watch without sound if you had to. One hundred percent. I
1: uh, I have ne- I have uh, the Avengers, the original one at number three. Uh, I think the degree of difficulty is important to look at here and sort of set the template for all these you know cross promotional movies with all the different characters. Show that you can do it, and you know it's as we've seen from the DC universe, it's not as easy as Marvel makes it look. You know. Kudos to Joss Whedon, and the team for for setting the course.
2: Indeed. It's too bad that his relationship with Marvel seems to have kind of soured because I would have loved for him to be on in a sort of advisory capacity, the same way that that Favreau has kind of stuck around. Yeah. I would have loved for Whedon to have become, you know, second in the in command to Feige or something and be able to be a consultant for all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But it seems like, you know, he's legendarily a little bit prickly and tends to hold a grudge. Mm -hmm. So it seems like he uh, decided to take his soccer ball and go over to D.C. because he's not the biggest fan of these guys anymore. It's too bad because he, you know, he was very very significant in setting this template
1: and now he's on the losing team <laughs> he truly exactly
2: um all right number three for me is iron man it's the one that started it all probably one of the greatest
1: superhero films of all time right yeah it's my number two so uh again set the tone for this whole thing yeah the, this this whole franchise wouldn't have been possible and it goes to show that marvel knew they were doing from the beginning uh taking a lesser known one of the lesser known Heroes and giving it to someone not known for their action filmmaking and you know casting a reclamated Robert Downey Jr. in the role. It just uh, it's yeah. It's what started this whole thing
2: and functions independent of its sort of like superhero baggage as well. Oh, for sure. Like you know functions as sort of a political statement, functions as kind of a romance, functions as a buddy movie, functions as a as an action comedy, like completely works under its own steam. And it had to because it didn't have a cinematic universe to be a part of yet. Uh, yeah, it, it still really, really holds up here uh, 10 years into this thing. Number two for me is Captain America, The Winter Soldier, a movie that uh, basically is trying to do a uh, Alan J. Pacula, Parallax View, Three Days of the Condor, paranoid uh, political espionage thing and i think succeeds wildly
1: yeah it's my number one so i completely agree with you
2: in, in that case uh, might as well go to my number one which <laughs> is civil that's yeah we, we both have captain america movies as our number one civil war i think is one of the greatest comic book films ever made it technically is the greatest avengers film i
1: would say even though it falls under the captain
2: america banner
1: she would be making more about how they sort of cheated and made that a Avengers movie? Maybe I mean clearly you that's know? the
2: reason that it's so low on your list, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe we should, but I, I just think that that movie works. It just all the issues that I have with all of these films, that one is the closest to like solving them for me. Like it's it's sure. certainly not a perfect movie, and I I there are superhero films. That I like more than Civil War, you know, something like The Incredibles, for example, or The Dark Knight, maybe. But for me, the Civil War is an example of like Marvel doing everything right and juggling everything perfectly and being able to focus on all the character stuff that I love while also really, really pushing the, the physical action stuff into a place that, uh, that I find really uh, thrilling. And invigorating. Like the CG flubber stuff leaves me cold pretty quickly. It, I lose interest in that stuff really, really fast. Mm-hmm. But I never get tired of watching, you know, Captain America and the Winter Soldier, you know, jump down a staircase and knee somebody. <laughs> in the jaw right like I never get tired of watching you know those two and Black Panther like running down the streets of Munich or wherever the hell they are like punching cars Mm -hmm. they're physically punching cars I get that there's CG involved but like just the the (laughs) physicality of actually like you know the Winter Soldier on a motorcycle or something that to me is way more thrilling than than watching these guys you know on a planet somewhere uh, you know punching meteorites or something
1: you know it does sound stupid but I also love when people punch cars in these movies feels great never gets old right <laughs> never gets old never old. all right man we did it no more marvel we got we have a, a year break feels good doesn't it i'm ready for a break well until next time this has been we like movies say goodbye matt sayonara